This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. We have Chuck with us now. He's the owner of the Fly Fishing Show. Correct. Yep. How, how long has the show been going on? Well, I started the show, <laughs> I guess, maybe 25 years ago at Seven Springs. I lost track. It's been so long. But uh, I did it for a few years, and that was just at the ski resort, and we decided uh, to go to a place where there was a larger population. I met Barry Serviente, who had uh, the Angling Bookstore. And I started my show at Seven Springs, I believe, at the end of March. And then he had an Angling Book and Tackle Fair in July. And I thought, who's this other guy starting a show like a couple months after I had this idea, which I stole from the FFF in Michigan? I said, he, he stole my idea. we got to get together. So we, we became partners, and we started a fly fishing show in Somerset, New Jersey. That was our first one as partners. And that's the biggest one. That That's so big. It's I mean, everyone's there. It's, I'll tell you, when we started it, we, we looked at each other, and we thought, well, if we don't get 2,500 people, we're going to both go bankrupt because we put all our money into it. And I think at that time, the fire marshal closed the door at 4,000 people and wouldn't let anybody else in, so... It was an instant hit, and it's just grown ever since then. We're now currently in Lancaster. You do Somerset. What other states or cities, towns do you bring the show to? Well, over the course of the 
partnership with Barry and I, we did the show down at the University of Maryland for about eight or nine years. Uh, and then we all kept our own individual shows. I do the International Flight Tying Symposium, and Barry did his book and tackle fair for a while. But we go up to Marlboro near Boston. We go down to North Carolina. We've been to Raleigh, Charlotte, and now we're in Winston-Salem. Uh, I just came back from California. We do a show in San Francisco, and we do a show north of Seattle now. And Barry retired about three years ago, and, and I've been running the shows on my own with my son helping me. And, uh, of course, the people that work for me have been fantastic. Is it safe to say you're the most connected person in fly fishing in, in America? Everyone's here. You know everybody. Uh, <sighs> I hate to compare myself to that old guy, Ed Sullivan, but I turned 70 last week, so now I can pretend like I'm Ed Sullivan. Everybody comes to me, and they say, I want to be a celebrity. I want to be a star, Chuck. I want to come to your shows. Can you can you give me a, a chance to talk to all the people? So it's kind of fun, and I do help as many as I can, but I have a limited time frame at the shows. I, if I put on everybody that asked me to, to speak at the shows, we'd go Monday morning to Sunday evening. How long does it take to set up a show when you bring the trucks into town, some set up, and then to, to shut down afterwards? Well, it depends on how big the show is. Every show is a different size, but usually we need uh, on an average of four to eight hours to set it up. Uh, we get better at it all the time. Our job is to set up the casting ponds and all the seminar rooms, but all of the exhibitors have to come in, and they do their own marketing with their booths, and some of them have 30 or 40 feet of space and uh you know it might take them seven or eight hours to set everything up but it looks great when they're done do you have any memorable moments that come to mind over the last couple of decades oh are you kidding me every every show we have memorable moments just last week my wife said well we got a first this guy came up to me and Kind of, you know, kind of shabbily dressed, you might say. And he said, "Ma'am, we need we need a seminar at this show to show people how to grow worms." She thought he was pulling her leg. She told him, "This is a fly fishing show, sir. We don't usually use worms." But he insisted that he wanted to know how to grow worms. Wow, that's that's a definite first that I've heard of. You mentioned that your your family works with you. Is that nice to be able to travel around during the winter and have your family close with you? Yeah, it's great. My son uh, got married in October, and he lives in uh, Colorado with his wife. And, uh, you know, now that he does the shows with me, I get to see them a lot. If I didn't do the shows, I'd have to travel to Colorado to visit. And uh, my daughter lives in Illinois, but she doesn't work the shows. She's busy with her husband and has two children. But, uh, yeah, it's the whole show is like a family. We We all travel... It's like one giant circus almost. We all work together and produce the best uh, fly fishing shows we can. For someone that's hearing about the show for the first time, could you give them just a, even an overall description of what it would be like, why they should make their way to the show? I mean, I drive from D.C. to Somerset for the show. That's, see, that's pretty far. Next year I hope to go to the Raleigh one as well. Well, I would say, let's say if you're a 12-year-old and you're going to Disneyland or Disney World for the first time, this is this is what it's like for people that want to get into fly fishing. We get a lot of beginners, but we also have people that have been fly fishing all their lives. And when they come here and they see the amount of merchandise out there, all the rods, all the fly tying materials, uh, all the travel lodges, I mean, you could come to a show and go to a different seminar all day long for every hour and still only cover about a fourth of the show. 
It's amazing. I'll walk through, and then the next time I go through that same aisle, I'll see something that I didn't see the maybe the day before, the, an hour before I walked through. There's just so much to see and do. Well, everybody's interested in bringing out the newest and hottest new product, and uh, these are the shows that they like to introduce it at, especially in Somerset. We have the manufacturers uh, supporting the show in a bigger fashion than other shows because it is a large show, and they'll bring they'll, they'll bring their company booths, and most of the time the owner of the company comes, uh, the, the marketing director, so you get to pe- speak with the people that, that are the engineers and the designers of, of the merchandise that we all use for fly fishing. And this is the last show of you for the season? Yeah, today is the final day for Lancaster. This is our second year here in Lancaster, and everybody loves this location. We have a beautiful convention center here next to the Marriott Connected. And uh, this, this city is really cool, and I don't know if your listeners realize that I didn't know it, but they told me that Lancaster was the... Uh, the oldest inland city inhabited in the country. I guess when people came over, they went to New York and Baltimore, but then they came to Lancaster. So this is really a neat place. I honestly thought I'd never been here before. I thought it was going to be Amish farms and a brewing company. I know Lancaster Brewing. I didn't realize it had this old historic town, the great Irish pub we went to last night. It's a really, really great place. Yeah, and, and, and we went past uh, the headquarters of Auntie Annie's Pretzels right here around the corner. So uh, it's, it's just really a neat place. And coupled with this weekend, uh, first Friday of the month, they have all the shops open till 9 o'clock on Friday. And there's so many cool art galleries and restaurants here. I mean, the show is fantastic, but the city is just as equally exciting to visit. So now the show's over for you. How long do you have before you start planning the, the next season? Do you get to go on vacation, maybe actually go fishing a little bit? Well, uh, that's a double question. The answer is I've already had about a dozen people talk to me today about ideas of talks for next year that they want to speak, and I'm thinking about it all the time. But the important answer to your, your better question was yes, on Friday, in about five days, I leave for Chile for two weeks, and I'm not going to think about anything but brown trout and rainbow trout. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, I'll be fishing. Uh, I'll be fishing a lot because you have to know what you're doing in in this sport, and you have to keep on top of it. It's almost you know like a joke. It's my job. It's my duty to fish because I have to know what I'm talking about. Do you get to go around and, and see the new products and actually enjoy the show, or is it? Are you working the whole time? I, I see the products when they're setting it up. On setup day, I get to see it. And, of course, I'm very familiar with most of the people. And, and uh, you know, they're always showing me everything that they have that's new. So I get to see a lot of the things before a lot of people do. Fantastic. Well, um, anything else you'd like to mention before uh, we wrap this up? And this is actually going to be the intro to the rest of the podcast. So you're going to be first. Well, I'm just uh, glad that uh, everybody enjoyed our show season. We traveled all around to seven different shows. The next show I do will be in November at the International Fly Tying Symposium, and that'll be in the big exhibit hall in Somerset where we do the show in January. Uh, The theme this year is, is called the Dutch Masters. And when we first started the show, uh, all the Dutch tires came over from the Netherlands. And uh, this year, so many of them are coming back. Plus, we have tires coming from Italy, Spain, Germany, uh, Austria. Roman Moser usually comes over. But we're looking forward to that in November. But between now and November, you may see me on the stream. 
Fantastic. Well, have fun in Chile. Oh, I will, and I'll be back, and I'm planning on hitting Martha's Vineyard, the Jersey Shore, tarpon fishing, you name it. Someone's got to do it, and I'm the show producer, so i got to learn these things. Absolutely. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me. All right. Thanks very much. Super. So we've got Colby here with Mossy Creek Outfitters. We checked in with them last year at Somerset. I finally got down to their fly shop. Hold on one second. That's a dude checking out a spay rod behind us. All right, so I, I finally got your fly shop, and I got to say, it's the best stock fly tying in like the state, or I should say the Commonwealth. And uh, that was pretty awesome. And if you've been following these guys on uh, Facebook, it's muskies, muskies, muskies. You guys are hopefully boating a lot of them. You want to talk about the muskie fishery that's been developing? You're sort of getting more known, I'd say, for muskies now than big browns. Uh- it's just becoming more popular as, as people are starting to crack the code on how to get them in the boat. Um, and it's no longer a fish of 10,000 casts. Finding the fish, finding the right fly, um, it's a doable thing. And it's, and it's so incredibly exciting. Even guys that don't boat a fish their first time out, if they see a half dozen or a dozen, they're just foaming at the mouth to come back. What rivers are you guys fishing uh, we're primarily fishing the Shenandoah because it's so close to home, and we don't have a ton of traffic on it. Um, the Upper James is obviously fishing well. A couple of our guides will go down and fish the new on their days off, um, but we usually stick to those three fisheries. You're rowing uh, inflatables down there for them? Uh, we do. Um, all of our guides pretty much have inflatables. We do have custom-built hard-bottom floors in the bottom of them, and our raft frames and everything are stripped down. So you've got a bigger floor plan in front of you, um, solid, sturdy floor. You can walk around easily. Um, you can pile a tunnel line down on the deck and not worry about getting stuck on anything. So that's important, obviously, clearing line out of the boat on those long casts necessary for, for a good musky presentation. What kind of gear are you using? Weight, rod, and uh, what reels? I mean, you've got a bunch of different brands and models you got on display here. Um, rods, uh, we like um, the Sage PMP, that Pike Muskie Peacock. Um, any any 10 and 11 weight rods. Uh, the Beulah rods are becoming more and more popular. Um, they are just impossible to damage or break. They do come with a, a spare tip. They're blue water rods, so, I mean, they're built for, for big creatures. And they'll throw a fly across the river, and they're rigid enough. You can get a good figure eight. Um, we like the Sage PMPs, like I was saying. Lines, uh, Rio outbound shorts or intermediates, um, full sinks. Uh, they get the job done with all the big flies. Reels aren't necessarily all that important. You're not going to have long blistering runs from a muskie. You're going to have, you know, sometimes pretty close to the boat, hard fighting fish pulling real hard. We strip in a lot of our fish, most of our fish actually, unless they run a little bit of your slack out and you can put them on the reel. And if you're throwing a 9 or a 10, 11, or 12 weight rod, we've actually been downsizing our reels a little bit. Um, to lighten the load of the outfit in your hand because it is different than fishing for tarpon where you might have a 12 weight, a big reel with 400 yards of line in your hand and you're sitting on deck waiting for your opportunity rather than casting for eight hours straight with a very heavy outfit. So it's definitely more ideal to try to lighten the load, maybe put an eight weight sized reel on your 11 or 12 weight rod 
you don't need all that extra backing and unnecessary weight to, to cover the water all day. The flies you're throwing, are they stuff you're coming up with? Are they coming out like signature patented musky flies? No, you know, um, Brad Bowen and the guys up north, you can go on their Facebook pages or websites. You can see some of the patterns they've been using. Um, we've got some flash flies that work for us real well that we don't see a lot of other folks using. Um, everything's custom built. There's no company right now making true, legit, you know, musky size flies. They'll say musky slash pike on the flies and yes it is possible to catch a muskie on them but nobody's making the real super large profile flies that we use on a daily basis so a lot of saddle hackle a lot of bucktail um fairly simple patterns but just large profiles how do you get those fish into the boat they're not that small they got big teeth yep um we we use uh big large cradles um or big large rubber nets usually when the fish gets close to the boat they go in the net or the cradle and you close it up um and at that point you can take the hook out of the fish once it's out of the fish if the client wants a picture we'll then bring the cradle or the net in the boat put the client in the right position basically if it's a large fish they'll be sitting down on the front or the back of the boat and we'll literally lay the muskie across their their knees and try to keep their spine straight. You know, we're, we're more worried about hurting the fish more so than, you know, getting nicked by a tooth or a gill rake or something like that. It's all about preserving that, that big old fish uh, for the next person. How old do you think some of those big 50-inch fish are? Um, it's interesting. Our southern muskie grow quickly. Our, our game biologists believe... Um, that we can grow fish to 30 pounds in just over 10 years, uh, where it may take 20 years to grow a fish to 50 inches up north. Uh, it might take 12 or 15 years down here. Is that just the, the growing season? It's cold water, the metabolism is slower? Yeah, they're under ice right now up north, and our water temp's still in the low 40s. And in a mild year, the temps will actually you know, stay in the low 50s. And so they'll put the feed, the only time they really slow their feed down is when they go to spawn down here. So um, they do grow rapidly, and you'll see a lot of big, fat, heavy fish, kind of like lake fish in our rivers. Um, Shenandoah in particular is such a large food source of suckers and carp that they get really, really fat and heavy for, for their length. You throwing carp flies then? Like not a fly for carp, but a fly that looks like a carp? Carp and sucker colors, browns, tans, um, you know, orange, um, they do work, but they like bright stuff some days. You know, you got to have your, your common colors, your lights and your darks, all black, um, red maybe, or sorry, white maybe with a little red in it. But, um, you know, in, in high-pressured water, sometimes you got to go crazy. Chartreuse and blue can be good, blue and silver. Um, it's good to have have a have a bunch of different fly colors and sizes with you if you're just generating follows and not getting those eats um you will want to you know change it up a little bit day to day is there any natural reproduction or are they all stocked there there's actually natural there is reproduction in all of our rivers um the state still does stock um most of our warm water fisheries the new actually is not getting stocked every other year now i think uh the natural reproduction is is uh got a pretty good foothold down there the fish are doing well and they certainly don't want to overpopulate the river that's right mr announcer anything else on muskies before i ask some other questions 
If you haven't tried it and you're willing to put in a little time and dedication, um, it's one of the most exciting things you can do in freshwater. Um, it is legit. We've, you know, if we don't put a fish in the boat, you'll you'll produce follows. We we can't guarantee people will land fish. Although we started guiding when we got up above the eighty percent um, kind of ratio of of turning fish over and putting them in the boat, but uh, we've only had. A, a, a very few number of days on the water where we haven't actually seen fish or had opportunities at fish so it's exciting um to go it's fun to just see those big flies in the water and of course you see your first freshwater fish over 40 inches follow right up to your rod tip at the, the edge of the boat and you'll be back for more and you guys are now starting to do like chuck crafts coming in you've got um Kelly Gallup's coming in. So you, yes, you got you got some big name tires coming in doing uh, like Saturday workshops. How's, how's that going? Um, it's been great. You know, we we've got to help feed the addiction of of everybody that you know um, comes fishing with us. And there's not a lot of other folks, um, you know, kind of stepping up and bringing bringing the whole buffet line to to the anglers in the area. So the end of March, we've got Brad Bowen and Kelly Gallup together for the first time in the shop. I think we're going to probably have to put up some chicken wire and throw sawdust down on the floor because it could get get kind of gross in there. They're, they're trying to call the event um, How to Catch a Predator, to catch a predator. Um, it's going to be fun. That'll be beer and burgers and, and uh, big flies and streamer fishing presentations. And then uh, we've got Easter the following week and then Gary Borger and a bunch of guys are coming down for our 10-year anniversary, April 6th. So the next couple of weeks, we got a lot of a lot of fun stuff coming, and everybody that comes out usually enjoys themselves. They're they're well fed and get a lot of good information. What's going on with the Crelex these days? Still trying to keep up. We we make an order from Krennic every Friday, um, not only for material for people all over the country. The Western boys have finally sniffed it out. We have orders going to Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho literally every week. Um, just for material and eyes and hooks, but um, Tommy's our guy. He's, gosh, that guy pumped out close to 6,500 Crelex, I think, last year, and um, that's not that's not what we bought from Montana Fly either. So um, as good as ever, and still growing in popularity. <laughs> and I, I tried getting some flies picked up by MFC. It didn't, didn't work out for me. I'm a little disappointed, but you know. Um, and this year, I'm gonna make it the year of the claw dad for me. Finally, going to get my fish on the claw dad. All you got to do, the claw dad is, if I had one smallmouth bass fly to fish the rest of my life, it would be the claw dad. Um, there are folks that grab it, they tie it on, they cast it out, they start stripping it back, and it, it's, it's not nearly as effective. It can actually be pretty ineffective, if not fished a certain way. But when you dial in how to fish that fly close to the bottom or on the bottom without having it turn and foul up, um, it'll it'll change the way you look at smallmouth bass fishing. I rely on that fly when we're not surface fishing. Probably eighty percent of the time we're on the water. I'd say anything anything not caught on a bug in the summertime is caught is caught on a claw dad early morning before the bite turns on or early in the season. So I, I went to your guys' shop in November. One thing that was awesome: park right in front of the door there's no fly shops in northern virginia that you can park that close to a fly shop but i was disappointed there's a grocery store next to you it said food and drugs 
It was a little disappointing on the drugs. They weren't specific as to what kind they were going to be. Yeah, we're a lot of people call us the Kroger Shopping Center. We got Kroger Grocery Store on one side. We're a little disappointed. We had to move across the street because um, on the other side where our original location was, we had the ABC store to the left and the cigar store to the right and fly fishing right in the middle. So guys would come in and spend hours and hours in between us. But um, you know, we, we've got a decent location. We're happy with it. We've expanded into the back, and we've got the possibility to expand next door for now. So um, I think we're going to stay put for quite a while. Excellent. Uh, what's after this? You guys got some more shows. We got the Virginia show. We got uh, Two Fly coming up. Your brother's pulling some shenanigans to your side. <laughs> we are we are packing up right now. We're going to head back put the shop back together tomorrow we'll be open until saturday we'll repack we'll do national capital show next sunday um we then have all of our open house events busy weekends and then mid-april we have the virginia fly fishing festival and we will be there um and then mid-may we're hosting the uh, uh tinkara summit in harrisonburg so we have a couple hundred people uh, coming from all over the country and all over the world for for that event, so we'll be we'll be busy until about June, and then we'll be living on the water every day after that. You the guys with the Tenkara bags? This show, those little solar sling pack things. Yes. Um, Is that just for like carrying a, a Tenkara bag like up the mountains? Not Daniel gave them to us. Just anybody who bought rods and gear, you can fit everything you need in this little backpack and. Um, if you were at Somerset, you probably saw 40 or 50 of them walking around because these things just go like hotcakes. Um. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We, we, we sold so many last year. We had people coming to the shop saying that they saw more Tinkara rods on the Rapidan River on a Saturday than they saw conventional fly rods. So folks can make fun of it. They can say it's a fad, but it's definitely here to stay. And, you know, uh, Tom Rosenbauer is coming down to Northern Virginia next week. He'll be at the show I put a Tinkara rod in his hand for the first time last year before he came to our open house. And he sat there and watched me fish for about an hour. And I think I think after he picked up his rod, he was using a size 16 Adams parachute. I was fishing a size 16 Adams parachute. And I was fishing behind him. And after I think I landed about 12 more fish uh, than he'd picked up in three or four pools fishing behind him, I think he got a little upset. He snatched that thing out of my hand and went upstream and started wailing on him and Kind of got the clue. It wasn't long after that, maybe three or four weeks, they showed up on the Orvis website. <laughs> that was pretty huge. That was the eureka moment for him. Yes, you know, I used mine during the shad run. There's nothing like hooking like a like a 14-inch hickory shad on that thing. Man, there's, there's nowhere for it to go. You just bring it to your feet if it tires out, yep. especially the white perch. There are a lot of guys that are uh, kind of pushing the envelope of the Tinkara world. And uh, there are some guys at Somerset that took them down to South America and caught baby tarpon on them. Um, you know, they're they're obviously still designed for small fish. They're designed perfectly for our mountain stream environments. But um, we're going to be doing some summertime Tinkara clinics as well. They're they're really effective on Mossy Creek and our Spring Creeks during insect hatches, where you know 
presentation is key and getting a good quality drift is key and uh we fished them on friday every single every single friday last summer during the big has uh khalil still been coming in the shop regularly the, the boxer dude from dc black guy big arms i don't remember khalil has he been coming in the shop yeah we went to mossy he bought he bought the Krelex. And it's like second cast he hooked a trout like yeah, he's he's like fishing trout free. He goes down to Mossy like every Friday now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want me to keep asking you random questions? Or you want to start helping these guys pack up? You can, you can keep asking me questions. I'm currently not working and enjoying sitting down. <laughs> Hold on, I just got a buzz. It might be David wanting me back. Nope. Um, what was that burger place you told us to go to? I forgot. I don't want to listen to the Somerset one for three hours to figure it out again. Jack Brown's downtown Harrisonburg. How many beers? They always have over 100. They always have over 100. Pushing 150. Uh, best best burger in town. It's an awesome little spot. Definitely need to check that out. Specific burger I should get? Um, yeah, the Greg Brady is a pretty popular one. From the TV show Greg Brady? Oh, yeah. What's on that one? Martin's the potato the chips and macaroni and cheese. What? Yeah. Macaroni and cheese and Martin's potato chips. Fried Oreos. Fried yeah. I'm so there. Who? Somebody was just asking me about fried pickles the other day. It's a pregnant woman, I think. You got fried pickles, fried Oreos. They got all. They got all the really good stuff for you. Make you happy. <laughs> Fantastic. Anything else you want to uh, talk about? You got the cheeky. You guys are. You've been getting cheeky. I see. Yeah. You got the reels. Yeah. They. We're. We're on their pro staff now, and uh, they're a bunch of good guys, young guys, um, doing it right. And um, I think you'll. You'll see a cheeky explosion in the next year. They're starting to open up some dealerships, so should be a great thing. All right, well, I think that's Chuck uh, speaking from above that this is actually the last podcast of the weekend, but it's the first one you're hearing. So, uh, Colby, thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Rob. Every every show, come grab me at the end so I don't have to pack up anymore. Heck yeah. All right. How's it going? Hi, Rob. How are you, man? Doing good. All right. See you guys later. See you, man. Thanks. All right, this is going to be Fly Fishing Show Light version of the podcast. We have Matt here. Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Matthew Marin with Little Sky Fly Fishing, and uh, I'm, I'm the Sunday Orvis shop lackey at the Orvis store in Downingtown and uh, do some guiding. Uh, if you're the, the fly fishing consultant, I'm the fly fishing adjunct professor. I, I'm, a, I'm a school teacher and guide on Saturdays here, here and there. But you do have the corduroy jacket. Do you have the no. do you have the suede patches on your sleeve? No, no suede patches today. So what subject do you teach? Uh, this year I'm a reading specialist. I'm half time at a high school and half time at a middle school. All right, all right. What uh, what waters do you guide on? On the, the West Branch of the Octorero is kind of the the primo water for beginner folks, and I get a lot of those. I've got a pretty good system nailed down for. It's like the perfect five and six hour trip on the West Branch of the Octorero. It's fly fishing only. It's uh, one of the neat things about it is right when trout season's picking up here, all the locals from that area, and this is eastern Lancaster County, you know, 18 miles from here, they all run down to catch shad. So it's not too pressured, uh, especially in the peak of the season. The, the shad run, which stops at a reservoir downstream from there, takes the pressure off the trout for, for guys like us. So it's pretty slick. So there's a definite seasonality to your guiding? Yeah, spring and fall are 
are pretty much the the trout opportunities here in southeast PA. South central PA is real solid year round, and I don't I don't guide around there a whole lot. Just maybe five days a year or so. I've got some pretty good beats on on pens and all public water stuff. Nothing top secret or anything. But uh, yeah, the the beginner crowd and intermediate crowd keeps me pretty busy in southeast PA. Chester County is where I'm based out of. That's where that's where the shop is. And uh, yeah, it's I got a pretty good half half day trip. I run, run five hour trips. Do a nice streamside lunch. I know you're into the food. We we do the food thing pretty well in Little Sky. Nice. Yeah. You see, you brought me some Chev from the farmer's market. Yeah. Lancaster has a wonderful thing. Our our central market here, we call it. It is, uh, like, I, like I told you earlier, it's supposedly the, the oldest market in the hemisphere that has never sold slaves. It's like a, you know, the ultimate farmer's market. It's continuously running for, I don't know how many, a couple hundred years, probably a few hundred years now, even through the wars, because the, uh, the Amish folks who run it were draft exempt. And it's just a wonderful place to go and say hi to your neighbors. And it's what a farmer's market should be. It's pretty sweet. Very nice. So let's talk about the trout species, brook brown, rainbow, maybe some palominos. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a palomino. I, I don't know if the state even stocks those anymore. I know a lot of clubs do. I generally don't run into those too much. You want to tell listeners, most people call them golden trout out east, but they're not golden trout. Yeah, I uh, I call them bird bait. They, they don't last too long. They, they disappear real fast. They're the first to go. If you if you see a palomino, chances are that stream was stocked like yesterday. They look like creamsicles, like the ice cream treat. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I think a lot of them get snagged. Like people just pound on them. I feel bad for the things. They stand out really easily in the streams. Yeah. Yeah. So if, like I said, it's it's an indicator that the stream was freshly stocked and it's probably a good time to move on. What weight rods are you guys using? Four and five. Three, four, and five. Um, I really like to show people how to how to fish without an indicator, nymphing. So we break out ten foot four weights a lot, and a lot of people are like a little intimidated by that. But I'll tell you what, beginners, like especially people who've never touched a fly rod, I'll put a ten caro rod in their hand from the get go, and that way there's no like, hey, what do I do with this hand? There's no line control mess. There's learning on ten cara is a great way to go, and. Uh, it really helps to be able to see what that drift is supposed to look like. I mean, if there's any reason to hire a guide for nymph fishing, uh, learning the drag-free drift is the most important thing. Um, if, if you're not mending, you're not fishing. If you've got a whole bunch of line on the water doing ugly stuff, it's not going to happen. And even if it does happen, you're not, not going to know if the fish takes underneath. So I like to show folks how to fish without an, without an indicator. And uh, it's a little intimidating only for folks who've been fishing with an indicator for a long time. And they don't want to make that transition. But it's kind of like uh, it's one of those things that kids and younger anglers pick up on faster. You guys matching the hatch with the nymphs? Are you throwing just attractors with rubber legs and flashbacks and crazy-looking shenanigans? There's a few things I try and imitate. I've got, I've got this modified hare's ear that I've been. I'm running out of fur on it. I just, it's from a couple of rabbits I shot up on the like Colorado, Utah, Wyoming corner up there. Just this perfect color, and they're 
the thing about rabbits that you shoot yourself, I used to be a big bird hunter and a little small game, but the thing about getting fly tying materials from wild animals, especially wild fur-bearing animals, is that they've got the spiky guard hairs. The stuff you buy off the rack is from the same market as like all the commercial fur companies. And for 200 years, they've been breeding spikiness out of those genetic strains. And they're all the this, this soft, fluffy stuff. So if you get your hands on like some nice, spiky hairsier masks, they're, they're deadly. So yeah, I like the hairsier and there's some BWO patterns I really try and dial in and a stonefly. On the West Branch of the Octorero, we have huge stoneflies, like biggest I've ever seen in the East. Uh, those I do kind of try to imitate. But generally we're throwing, I mean, probably half the time, we're throwing modified woolly buggers, some special colored San Juan worms, and rainbow warriors. That's kind of my, my new new nymph of the month. I, I smoked on that this winter. Never heard of one of those. You want to describe that? Yeah, it's a, uh, what's it called? Flashback? Flashaboo? Wrapped around a hook with a glass bead, little red collar. It's like a, you know, it's in the, the Frenchy school of nymphs, you know. It's one of the European-style ones. It's great. Uh, I want to say it's got some Pennsylvania pedigree. I want to say that's Lance Egan's. Not positive on that. How's the show going for you so far that you've been walking around and getting some good contacts, picking up some materials maybe? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, this is a great crowd, and it's the perfect scale venue. Somerset's, like, too much for one day, I think. Uh a little bit of sensory overload, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm semi-local here, and it's just nice to see the right kind of people and the right amount of them all in, all in one place. So I, I really like this venue. Over in Valley Forge was kind of nice, too, but I think this is pretty good digs here. The restrooms here compared to Somerset are night and day. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I can see that. Restrooms and uh, food are two of the, the best non-fly fishing related perks of this venue. I don't have to wear waders to go to the bathroom because I'm not standing in four inches of piss. Right. Yeah, although between the parking garage and here, I did have to dodge a little pile of horse poo from a buggy. Yeah. It's Lancaster problem, but... Well, don't see road apples too much where I'm from. No. Yeah, I, I got to go down there and check that out. I'm, I'm, my wife keeps bugging me to run down to... DC, and I've got spring break coming up here at the end of the month. Shad run. Yeah, I'd be on that. The only place I've ever caught shad is in the Upper Delaware. And these, was, these are fun. You're swinging like size six flies at them. They'll slam them. Yeah, I'd be up for that, for sure. Absolutely. Where can we uh, get a hold of you to go out to this? I can't even pronounce the name of that river. Oh, Octorera, West Branch of the Octorera. Uh, you, are, are there eight of them? <laughs> no, but that's. Uh, I gotta, I'm gonna save that one. No, everything's Octorera. There's an Octorera School. There's a West and East Branch and a combined branch below the reservoir, and that's where all the shad action is. The reservoir is kind of a sleeper water for carp. It's uh, pretty much boat fishing only, which is okay because it's like four feet of muck if you try and wade in there. But it is a carp factory. Uh, I haven't gotten it dialed in. Super good, but I, I have a feeling it's it's pretty hot. What did the shad say when it swam into a wall? <laughs> what did it say? Damn. <laughs> yeah. Where can we where can we find you on social media online? Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, I do the do the Twitter thing at Matt Marin M A T T M A R R A N. 
And uh, on the Facebook machine, Little Sky Fly Fishing. On the web, uh, I believe it's little-sky.com. That covers that covers guiding in the farm. We've got a little farm here in Chester County, and keep on some horses. If you come fishing with me, there's a good chance we're going to throw in a dozen eggs and have some throw down some pretty good yummies on on the streamside lunch. And uh, how's the fly shop going these days? It's pretty cool. It's a it's a great shop. It's been there a while. Uh, I love working there. I'm like I'm Mr. Sunday. It's it's like it's great. We've got awesome customers in an area that's like I don't know, not you know, it's not destination waters or anything, but it's it's super close to a lot of different stuff. Saltwater from both the Atlantic and the Chesapeake. Warm water species. Muskies are really picking up in our area. Muskie fishing is Man, it's really coming on. The Delaware State record muskie was just caught in July on the Brandywine, which most of the Brandywine is in Chester County, PA, but just barely into Delaware is where the the state record was caught. And we're getting them in Marsh Creek State Park and the Marsh Creek Lake and a few places in between. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot of little things going on. I mean, it's not just trout and spring creeks and stuff like that i mean if you want to fish year round you sure can especially these mild winters we've been having the last two winters have been a piece of cake fishing especially on valley creek gosh i don't i don't want to say anything more about valley there's there are there's a cadre of of folks who will drag and quarter me if i start talking more about that do you guys stock the Wiggle Dams at your shop from Orvis? Wiggle Dams? What's that? Hold on, we're going to pause. I'm going to bring it up on my phone. Okay, so we're looking at the damsel fly, the living damsel with the braided tail. Yeah. thing is so filthy, it catches everything. I can see that. What was this, like size 8, size 10 hook? I'd say about an 8. Yeah, you need to get those by the dozen. Okay, I'm on it. Yeah, I can see that being real good for lots of things. Carp, too. I caught a nice... I lost a carp around Christmas, but yeah, I got one on that, bouncing on the bottom. Yeah, the, the carp are all about the damsel nymphs. Actually, I, I catch, catch most of my nymphs on carp. I know a lot of people are catching them on streamers and goofy worm patterns, but um, just basic bushy nymphs, especially in olive. They're pretty productive. All right, anything else? You want to shout out to anything? Oh, no, I just want to say you're doing an awesome job with social media, and you're you're your whole business model is just pretty sweet, man. You're you're kind of like part of the part of the avant garde. You and, and the PA Undercurrent here. These these guys do an awesome job too. If you haven't met them, go say hi. But uh, it's good to see. Like I I know you used to work in the fly shops in Colorado. Me me too. I used to work for a couple out there. And and the culture is a little little different, little hip. And I I think it's cool to see guys like you and. And others kind of bringing those things to to our area. I, I include your area and our area too. But um, yeah, keep at it. Sweet. All right. Look forward to wetting the line with you soon. Yeah, I hope so. Later this month. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> Drive safe. Yeah, not far. So we got Cameron here. He is with Frying Pan Anglers. You want to introduce yourself? Tell us about your shop and where you're from. I'm from. You want me to hold it. I'm from Basalt, Colorado. Basically, we're out here representing three shops, the San Juan Angler and South Platte Fly Shop. But the one that I'm more familiar with is Frying Pan Anglers. We have cabins on the frying pan, mile and a half of private water, and we also 
float the Roaring Fork in the Colorado. There's 40 miles of gold medal water that's a half hour from the fly shop. What um, what kind of equipment you guys use out there? Weight and length rods, and uh, you want to talk about some of the flies you use and species you're catching? So, do you want to know more about what gear? And yeah, we do. We sell the Hardy guys would be happy. They're right down the street. We sell a lot of Hardy. Little company called Mystic. You know, for for the frying pan, um, it's a tailwater. It's pretty clear all year. Right now, it's running 40 CFS. We we do guide all year on the frying pan. The gentleman that's interviewed me has been out there a few times. So, <laughs> but right now, you know, six seven X is not uncommon. You know, it's we didn't have a good runoff last year, so the water's pretty low. We are getting good snowpack right now. As far as weight rod, nine foot five weight. You know, a lot of a lot of big fish, so you want to have something that you know you can toss six x and not be overpowered, or seven x and something that can handle a twenty two, twenty five inch fish. Now, if you're doing the float trips on the fork of the Colorado, we do a lot of six weights. You know, streamer fishing. Banging the banks, you know, with your six weights, you know, sinking lines, big gaudy streamers. But most of the the biggest attraction for the frying pan is the dry fly fishing. You know, the we get a green dray catch that's pretty pretty popular. You know, most people that know the frying pan is you know affiliated with the green dray catch. And that goes on from middle of July until end of September. So it's it's known as a great great you know dry fly fishing river. The Actually, I mean, you can get hatches all year. There's actually a midge hatch going on right now just because one of my buddies texted me a picture of midges everywhere on the water. So <laughs> stays between 42 and 45 degrees all year. That's why it fishes consistently. You know, the Roaring Fork and the Colorado River, like I said, you know, two double hauls away from the shop. The Colorado's 30 minutes. They're your free stones, no, no, res- you know, no dams. So the dry fly fishing's a little more limited to the summer, but you don't mind getting down and dirty, you'll catch fish. For those that don't know about the toilet bowl, can you give that an explanation for for people that aren't familiar with it? I, I actually have an Atlanta client that calls it the commode hole. So what what happens? The res it's a bottom dwelling tailwater. That's why it stays in the low forties all year. What happens, they put mice and shrimp in the reservoir for a salmon population, sockeye, you know, and it did work some, but the great thing it did, it put the mice and shrimp, which is a crustacean, you know, it's a freshwater shrimp, put them through the turbines and made them come out the dam. And when the I talk about the dam, it's right beneath the toilet bowl. What happens, the turbines of the dam kind of make a little, when you like when you flush the toilet, it makes a little circle and the neat thing about it you know i laugh when i tell clients to people at these shows to come out and show them pictures of the big fish if you don't mind looking at a cement wall with a bunch of water coming out of it and a bunch of shrimp coming out of it you know your, your odds of catching a big fish are, are pretty significant you know with that many shrimp coming out there's it's like fishing in a you know toilet you know in a pot in a tub <laughs> they're everywhere and their mouths are open eating the big fish and these fish grow fast because all the protein you know it's not uncommon i mean you could actually go on our website a guy caught a 20 pound brown out of there no joke about beginning of summer so you know when you catch a fish like that and these are resident fish you know not lake run fish that's that's a big resident so that's kind of the story of the toilet bowl i it's funny because when i do the talks in denver 
you, you know, we'll get 200 people because they want to know about the pan. It's their home water. And tell somebody to raise their hand if they fished a toilet bowl, and, and no one wants to do it because they don't want to admit they fished a toilet bowl. But if you, you know, you don't have an eagle and want to catch a big fish, it's kind of the place to go. Fishing the toilet bowl is sort of like riding a uh, moped? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's not too sexy, but you catch big fish. You know, and where I like to fish, and I'm sure the gentleman's fish here before, is the flats, which is, when I do a presentations, which is the first run after the toilet bowl. And we call it the flats just because, the you know, it looks like a bonefish flat in the mountains. It's about 100 yards in length and 100 yards in width. And fish cruise around out of the toilet bowl, sipping whatever hatches out or, you know, eating midges. I mean, you can go in there right now and you'll see 20-inch fish that you can sight fish to. So, you know, you want to be a little more respectful and sight fish and stock fish. That's kind of what makes the pan so unique, you know, besides the great hatches. How much private versus public water do you guys fish? That, that's been the, a big question uh, at the show. There, there's more public than people think, you know, for example... Our owner of the shop did a great thing a couple years ago. One of the owners down there marked private land, you know, public land, private. And it was going on for two years. He paid the money, got it surveyed, and found out this guy was marking public land for four years that was public. And it was almost, you know, almost a quarter of a mile. So we got that public. But getting back to your question, there's 14 miles beneath the dam. And almost nine of that is public. Now, you got to be careful because the landowners don't market like they should. So the best thing to do, if you're coming out to the area, come down to the shop, frying pan anglers, and we'll buy, give you guys a map and kind of plots out where all the public is. Now, if you're doing the Roaring Fork, you know, and I tell people the Roaring Fork, I was telling you, that's our shop's in Basalt. The frying pan runs right behind it, com- confludes with the Roaring Fork. There's more public land on the Roaring Fork. As you go towards Aspen, there's sections where you can wade six to seven miles and have trail yourself and not see another home. So there's more areas to fish in that valley besides the pan that's public. It's not all the, the cranky landowners that get mad if you step on the rock or if you put an anchor on the rock. You know, it's got a bad reputation for that, but it's it's getting a little better. The divisions actually found some more of the property that was marked public or private that was public too so there's more public than than people think where are you gonna send someone for lunch out there after a good day fishing where do you go for lunch that's a fun question the the coolest place and the people that have been there i've actually had people come up to me today say the cool thing that puts basalt you know where the pan is separate from any bit every other place is there's two gold metal rivers running right through the town and there's a bar and grill right on the frying pan tiki bar you can drink your margarita and eat a hamburger and you know there's a pet fish there it's been there for four years that you can feed it bread and you know watch it eat a <laughs> 20 inch fish eat a hamburger bun that and it's called riverside bar and grill that's the ultimate place to go i mean especially if you're fit you know it's because it's in between the fork and the pan also you know but there's also little burger joints if you want to go have a beer which most of us do after a, a good morning of fishing relax a minute and you know feed the fish in the pan that's the place to do it where can we find you guys online besides just Googling Frying Pan Angler, South Platte Shop, and the San Juan Angler? You know, of course, go to Facebook. We all have Facebook pages. Um, basically, <laughs> go to our, like you know, you were saying, go to our websites. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. 
Um, if you type in anything, I mean, we have, we're number one in all the searches. You could type in Aspen fly fishing or Colorado float fishing. We'll be number one in any everything. But, you know, we have a good following on Facebook. We actually have one site for them all. That's under the frying pan website, you know, the frying pan Facebook page that we kind of promote both all three shops. But you can also go to the San Juan's Facebook page and the oh, South Platte Station. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry they're speaking over us. <laughs> Last question, who's this young lady? <laughs> that's that's awesome. Actually, you laugh. If you ever come to my presentation, you get a kick out. He's referring, I got my pictures out here, and there's a very attractive lady. She's in her early 30s. She's actually one of the guide's wives. And she, well, it's funny. I mean, we get, she's on the, if you go to our website, there's pictures of her everywhere. And she can outfish all of us. And all the people that see her want to fish with her, but she won't do guy trips. And she can, it's embarrassing fishing with a, a pretty girl that can constantly catch 20-inch fish. It, you know, can be a little intimidating. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> all right, looks like, it looks like it's beer 30, so I'm going to check on out. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> So we're with Dennis of Mystic Fly Rods. We missed Dennis at Somerset because it's so crazy. By the way, the people watching at Somerset, much better than people watching here. So let's talk about your rods. You recently, and I want to say, so Fly Fisherman as like new gear for 2013, I think. Fly Fisherman Magazine? or Yes, I think so. One of, the two, one of them. Yeah, we, well, we, we were, last year we were Fly Fish America's Editor's Choice Award for the Switch Rods. Uh, but we have seven different series of rods now. Five of them are producing here in the U.S. Two of them are produced overseas now. Um, and uh, been growing exponentially every year now for the last couple of years. Went in the last two years from 35 independent dealers to almost 190. So growing pretty substantially. And don't know how much more growth we can take on in the near term, but we're doing well. Where are you guys based out of? We're based out of Portland, Michigan, which is between Lansing and Grand Rapids, on the banks of the Grand River and the Looking Glass River. So we're kind of right at the confluence. I married into an Ohio State family, so I'm not really allowed to know anything about Michigan, but I'll take your word on it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we're, we're actually 20 minutes from Michigan State, so we're Michigan State fans. Yep, about an hour from Michigan. So. Who designs the rods, the tapers, and figures out what they're going to look like and flex? Well, for the five series that we do here in the States, I do all the development work on, on it. I have one other person that I work with on you know from an engineering standpoint on the tapers. Uh, most of our tapers are Scandinavian-based. They're more of a, a um, I would say, more of a, a progressive um, taper to the rod, so it's different. So when people pick up a Mystic rod, a lot of times they can't figure out exactly what it is, but they like it. And as as we work with them and instruct them, they really start to like it. They they get the feel of the rod, and and uh, you, you I think they get more pleasure from it. Do you have a target demographic of fly anglers that these are marketed to? Don't really. I I think uh, I've I've heard from different people that um, we tend to hit the the twenty to thirty five range, um, thirty five year old demographic but uh i got a lot of older gentlemen too that like the rods so not really i think it's across the board how's the show going for you so far this show is we did this show last year as well and i think it's been much better this year um and i think we have more market share more of a presence in the industry so people are starting to recognize who we are now 
And with the name, it has nothing to do with Julia Roberts and the pizza shop in Rhode Island? <laughs> no, I get that a lot, though, when I'm out east. Yeah, Mystic, Connecticut. That, that's that's the first thing that comes out of people's mouths. So, I notice you've got. I, I'm gonna blank on his last name, but Matt's your uh, graphic artist for your shirts. Yeah, Matt Zudwick is a uh, a local guide um, and artist um, on the Muskegon River, and he does a lot of stuff. In fact, we have uh, the steelhead print that he does now, the the bionic print. Um, he's also done a smallmouth bass for us, a redfish, and a smallmouth bass. So he's built a few other things for us. I'm using him to get some decals, and I want him to, to do a fish logo for myself as well. So it's good to see his stuff out there. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff for other shops. I'm starting to notice that a lot of shops have logos, and when you, when you see an artist, you start to recognize their artwork, and if you look at some of the details. So I can pretty much pick it out now when I look at it, and I find it. And you're confusing people back here. There's some bamboo rods that are not yours. Yeah, that's uh, actually that's Michael Mores. It's uh, a friend that we'll actually be fishing with next week. Um, yeah, he does a lot of uh, he likes the bamboo stuff, and I do too. I mean, I come from uh, more of a history of of some of the classical stuff. Um, at one time, I owned stake in Willow Classic Reels, so been there, done a lot of that stuff. And it's a neat market. It's a small market though, so you got to go where where it's where there's a place to, to make a little bit of money and feed the family at the end of the day. And you mentioned you're going to be doing some donations for Project Healing Waters to fly this year? Yes, yeah. We're actually, I've spoken to uh, a few of the gentlemen over there on, on the corporate side, and, and we're going to be doing a Maverick, a five-weight Maverick rod, and they're going to be pairing that up with an Able Reel this year. So we're hopeful that that, that helps Project Healing Waters to to get some generous donations out there to, um, to help, you know, promote the Project Healing Waters program. I know after all this winter, the shows, you don't want to do a road trip down, but it's a pretty cool event if you can make it down. I've heard, you know, I've actually met Douglas Deer, not met him, but spoke to him on the phone several years ago when I was part of the Willow Classic Reel company, and he actually um, bought some of our reels at that time, and I think he still does, but uh, great guy. I've heard a lot of good things about him, and and gave him a call about a week ago, and we talked about you know what rod makes sense to donate for this Project Healing Waters Two Fly activity that's coming up. And he, uh, um, we we definitely went with the Maverick. I think that's that'll be a good choice. Uh, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of great people there at this event, and we want to make sure that we give everybody a good shot at a real nice fly rod. Can you tell us about that Maverick rod? Why it would be a good choice? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually brand new for 2013. Um, it's a very it's it's our one of our highest end rods that we do now. Um, it's based on the nano resins, um, that new technology that's out. Uh, we do a lot of uh, upgraded components on it. Um, we do um, a special kind of a modified reverse half wall half walls grip um, in a super grade, um, a custom reel seat, uh, titanium stripper guides and light wire snakes. So it's it's really some of the top end components that you can you can purchase right now. And put on a fly rod. Excellent. And, um, ooh, here it comes. I get a look at it. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com.
Yeah, you don't see that grip too often. It's nice. I like the real seat. Up locking. Four piece? Yep. Nice. Dark black, glossy finish. Or is that is that black or is there like a little bit of bluish? It's actually black. Um and what's really difficult about this rod is the the wraps on it are black as well, and we do we accent it with silver trim bands, and it's very a very difficult rod to finish because it blends the you know the thread blends so well with the blank that it's really hard to see where you're going. So it takes a real steady hand to finish this rod. I get a lot of complaints in the shop back home in the factory about finishing this rod because it's a difficult one to do. But I think it looks elegant and pretty when it's done, and it performance wise, I think it's a great rod. There's two things that jump out at me. First, you got a six weight with the hook keep. You don't see that too often anymore. But tell us about this extremely novel way to keep track of your rod ferrules lining up. Yeah, there's actually um, each rod in the in the the rods that we do here in the states has a weight and length on it, and there's actually a reason behind that. Um, although it's a it's a great way to identify the different sections of the rod, especially if you have multiple rods the same with the same manufacturer but what we've uh, found that with the with the scandinavian tapers the taper is so gradual that you can actually take a four and a five weight rod and put them together and you may think that it's okay okay to use that way when it's really not so we do that for purposes of trying to foolproof the the rod but it also lends itself to alignment to getting you know the guides to align on the rod um and it gives you a good reference point for length and weight so both male and female have that that's pretty i've never seen that that's that's smart it's different and those are transfer labels too so there that's another process that it's not real commonly seen around the states i think there's one manufacturer that i'm aware of here in the states that does that kind of transfer labels and they're actually die cut around and even the the inch sign in the in the the foot sign uh, identifier that is it actually an ind- independent label but it's stuck to a you know it's stuck to a reverse side so you can apply it down but when you when it comes off there there's nothing connecting them except that piece of paper that you laid over top of it so. we'll get a picture of that for the website so where can we find you guys social media websites etc uh, you can find us at www.mysticoutdoors.com um we're also we also have a, a, a facebook site um which is mystic outdoors um, and I guess that's that's the two places right now. Super. Well, thanks for joining me. Thank you. All right, so we're at the back of the wall. This uh, Lancaster show. We got Rich Strollis here. He's tying some flies. I'm going to talk about your, uh, you see, like th- thrice articulated flies you got going on here. Yeah, I tie a lot of doubles and triples. Um, a lot of the stuff I've been tying at the show here today has been triples, and basically it's one hook. A shank in the middle and a shank, uh, a hook up front, um, and they can be anywhere from six to eight inches long. And I get a lot of questions. Mike and I have been talking to people all weekend, and they're like, "What are you chasing with these?" They think it's all musky, but these are actually trout flies, believe it or not. So that's pretty much what I'm tying. Where are you out of that? You'd be throwing these guys. Uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts, but I live in Connecticut now. Uh, I fish all over New England, um, and a lot of people don't associate these kind of flies with New England, but believe it or not even in high-pressured waters um, and some of the waters that have lower numbers of fish, these will pull some of the bigger fish out of the river. So um, they're mostly fish in New England, but I do go elsewhere. I fish them out west as well, but these are New England-based patterns. What sort of rod do you need to throw these guys and what line weight? 
Um, I fish two different types of lines and, and weights. I fish a six or an eight. If the flies are over uh, six inches long, then I go with the eight weight. Um, if they're under that size, then I'll go with the six, um, and I mix it up. I'll fish if it's a weighted streamer. I'll fish a floating line, and if it's a lightly to unweighted streamer, I'll fish a, a sinking line. Current new materials that you're utilizing to make your big flies, from Clear Cure Goo products to brushes and fish skulls, go. Yeah, I use a lot of brushes in a lot of the streamers that I tie with. Um, I also use a lot of Arctic foxtail. I forgot to mention that before. Um, some of the brushes I use are fox brushes, which are an Enrico Puglisi product. I use the sparkle brushes a lot, too, because I can get flash into the, the fly real easy and it still breathes. Um, some of the sculpins I tie, everybody's pretty familiar with now, have the sculpin heads on them, the sculpin helmets. Real big on those. Fish them a little differently. Some of the fish skulls as well. Um, and then I've transitioned all of my cements and epoxy stuff over to clear Kirgu. I don't even, in fact, I don't even think I have head cement or epoxy on my desk at home anymore. I specifically just use the hydro for everything and the, th the thicker the thin for a lot of the epoxy style flies now. I just think this stuff's fantastic. So, so with the clear cube products, um, I do a lot of terrestrials. You said I should go with the, the thinner one. I, I would think, actually, I probably would go with the hydro. I mean, because you're looking at something that you're going to float, correct? Yeah, yeah, I would use the hydro. It's the thinnest. It's you can put a very, very thin layer on there, um, like even as thin as head cement, and it'll make that fly bombproof. Won't come apart, and it's not going to really add any weight to it. So that would probably be my first choice for a terrestrial. Let's talk about your well-worn vice. What model and brand are you using? Yeah, I'm using a Regal uh, Revolution. I love this vice. You can see, like you said, it's got a lot of wear and tear on it. Um, this is all I tie with now. It covers all the bases for me. I can tie small flies up to big stuff. Um, I think, I, like I said, I put 15,000 flies through this vise last year. It's it's just so easy to work with. Everything is positioned right. Where the knob is to churn, to loosen up the rotary function on it is right where your thumb would be. Um, the handle on it, in order for me to take a hook in and out of the vise, all I have to do is pull on the clamp. It opens. I put the hook in. I'm done. I'm ready to tie. And the hooks don't move. So... That's important. You're saying something about a gamakatsu hook that you could bend in there? Yeah, the magnum jaw in here, I showed it to a guy at the last show because he was saying that these jaws don't hold hooks, and I beg to differ with him. Um, I put a one-aught B10S gamakatsu hook in this jaw, and I bent it into a circle, and it didn't slip. So that kind of gives you an idea how strong the jaws are on it, and they're very easy to use. So You prefer the C-clamp over the pedestal? It depends where I'm tying. Um, if I know I'm going to be putting a lot of pressure on a fly, if it's a bigger fly where I have to really yank on the thread, I go with the clamp at home. Um, other times, I have a couple vices set up at all times. My other table, if it's smaller stuff, is on the pedestal, so you can move it around. Now, Mike Schmidt, not the baseball player, is next to you. We know him from the, the last Fly Show podcast. He just ate a, a pretty gross-looking lunch. Are you looking forward to sitting next to him for the rest of the day? Definitely not, because he'll probably be floating air biscuits through here. So I, I don't know if I really want to hang with him for a bit. I might go grab something to eat myself. You need to get one of those charcoal pads for him to sit on. Well, we were talking about this on the way over here, because um, if somebody out there could uh, engineer a beer that has Beano built into it, it would be they'd be a multimillionaire. So we're kind of thinking about building something like that. There's a product you can get at the drugstore. It's called Activated Charcoal Pills. It's basically the charcoal that you put in a fish tank, and that will absorb everything. Really? Really? It, it saved the marriage on many occasions. Could use it last night after all the 
drinking we did at the bar. Um, you got a little fish tank here with a little swimming action going? Yeah, we got the fish tank. Me and uh, Mike here have been swapping flies in and out of it all day. Um, it, it's it's a good crowd pleaser. It gets people over here, and they kind of get a really good gist of how some of these flies behave in the water. So for any of the people out there that are like non-believers with it, I think it, we've kind of changed some people's minds about some of these flies and how they behave. So it's kind of cool. All right. Where can we find you on social media? You're on Instagram. So I uh, found you today because I knew you could be here. Uh, you can go to my website to start. It's uh, www.catching-shadows.com. And then everything that you need to do to find me with social media is on there. Uh, catching, Same thing, Catching Shadows has a, a Facebook page. I have a Twitter thing on there as well and Instagram. And it's all kind of intertwined together. So I'm also running a pretty cool contest on there this year on my Facebook page. It's a year-long contest. I'm putting together a bugger beast full of all kinds of giant flies and the more likes that go up on the facebook page the more flies that go in the box and there's already i think 18 articulated streamers in that box so we're closing in on a uh, thousand likes once it starts cranking some more i might even offer a couple more prizes so it's kind of cool and it's real easy to do and anybody who enters it gets a chance to win something so all right all right where are you going after the show you got any, any other shows left this season i'm this is the last one for me but uh i've got a pretty Probably one of my longest uh, fishing list droughts going right now. Since December, I haven't fished, which isn't like me. So I'm actually fishing tomorrow. So where yet, I don't know. I was supposed to be on the Delaware somewhere, but my buddy's kind of chickening out on me because of the weather. So, But I'm going no matter what. So that's the game plan. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. A little, little couple glitches recording, but blame that on the Guinness. Blame it on the alcohol. <laughs> All right, next up we have Pat Cohen, and he's got some uh, pretty huge deer hair flies. You want to talk about your flies and how you make them and how you come up with all this stuff? Sure. The uh, The basic idea, it's a deer hair bass bug. Um, I make them big because, well, because I couldn't find them big beforehand, so I started making them bigger for bigger fish. Um, and it's not that you catch a bigger fish necessarily with a bigger fly, but you're eliminating the smaller fish, so automatically you're catching bigger fish. Um, there was a couple of lakes that I was fishing that uh, the, the bass especially were eating these gigantic bullfrogs, and I just couldn't find a fly in a store that was big enough to, to turn them on, basically. So I started making these huge flies on like 4-aught and 5-aught hooks, and uh, basically the, the whole... The technique for making them themselves is it's called stacking as opposed to spinning hair. And when you stack hair, you, you work from the bottom of the hook shank up to the top of the hook shank. And you've got um, c- total control of all the hair. So you can do spots, dots, bars, patterns, whatever you want because you're controlling every chunk of hair that goes on the hook. So you can just kind of go crazy and let your mind go wild, your imagination run wild, and do whatever patterns or stripes or whatever you want on these things. And... You know, multiple colors catch fish. I mean, you know, we don't know what they see exactly. And, you know, you can be imitating a million different bait fish. And, and bait fish and frogs and things like that, as soon as the sun hits them, you're, who knows what kind of colors are, are reflecting off of them and whatever. So I throw lots of colors in my flies because I just don't know what's going to work until I get out there and, and, you know, start chucking them out there and see what happens. So you can let your mind go crazy, imagination run free, and make gnarly-looking stuff. This is not the, um, I want to say, neatest of, of processes. Do you have, like, a shop vac you got to carry with you? There's just, I mean, there's deer hair 
everywhere. And what, what kind of like what kind of deer hair is it a certain part of the body you use? Yeah, I use all belly hair. Um, the belly hair has a, a hollow cellular structure. It's not hollow like a straw, but it's it's what helps uh, insulate the deer during the winter time. So they're harvested at a certain time of year. The belly hair is used. Uh, it's bleached. It's cleaned. It's tanned, and then it's dyed in all these funky colors. And then you uh, you cut it right off the hide, and. Uh, yeah, it compresses as soon as you put your thread through it. I'm using a 200 denier gel spun thread. It's a GSP. Super tough, super strong for, for the thickness of the thread. Uh, so you get that on the hook shank and you compress that down in the middle of it and it flares at a 90 degree angle to the hook shank. You keep stacking that back, packing it back, and then you work all the way to the front of the hook shank towards the eye. And then when you're done, you cut it all up and make your shape and whatever. And you end up, if you did it right, you end up with a bass bug that's as tight and then firm as a cork. And then it floats forever. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's really the process in a nutshell. And it does make a mess. You need a good vacuum. Here at the shows, I don't have a vacuum. I just leave my trail behind me. But when I'm at home, I I do have a good vacuum. I have to. You want me to hold that? You, you die in here? Well, you looked uncomfortable. No, it was a long night for me. So yeah, I understand. Me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, that, that was a nice bar last night, by the way. That's good chow. The Irish pub was great. The food was delicious. Yeah. Did they do some bad math, adding up your bill too, and leave out about six pints? You know, I, I'm not sure. I think we had enough pints to where if a few were left out, I don't know that we would have known. Good Guinness, though. Guinness on tap. Way to be. They pour that in a two-step process. It was, it was good. It's kind of like deer hair, huh? Lots of process to pour those deer, uh, beers. Yeah. So, yeah, man, when you pack them tight like that and you, you trim them up or whatever, they, uh, they do float just like a piece of cork, and that's really the idea. You want them to absorb as little water as possible, get in the surface, and just kind of hang out and... Patience. It's a game of patience when you fish them. It's a game of patience when you make them. And uh, they're not for everybody, that's for sure. That are, uh, they're a time-consuming fly to make. I mean, you got to dedicate, you figure, at least an hour per fly. Yeah, so when you lose them, you, it's a little heartbreaking, but you just go home and make another one. You've got this tool here. It looks like something from the 1920s that you would pull babies out. We used to clamp them by the side of their heads. What uh, is this thing? It's a, a medieval torture device called a uh, SF Fugly Packer. And uh, what it is is uh, it's a tool that I have manufactured. It's eighth-inch bar stock steel, and it's attached uh, together with spring steel. And what it does is you lock that down onto the hook shank in between stacks of hair, and that's what enables you to compress that hair back as much as humanly possible. Um, and you can, it's big enough to where your fingers are completely away from the hook point so you don't bury yourself in a 5 odd hook or something like that. And, you know, using the, the thinner ones that were on the market beforehand, it happened plenty. So this kind of came out of necessity. I started working with it a couple of years ago. I had some designs. I had uh, prototypes made and whatnot. And it took about a year of messing around with different designs. And then I came up with this one, and I was happy with it. It's got little knobs on it for your safety, basically. it's uh, Your fingers go behind it. So if you do slip off, you're not going to slip off into a hook. You've got, you've got everything right there. Um, and it, it is made out of steel, so the fact is, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't ever bend it, which is nice. All right. We're going to pause real quick. Looks like we got a sale going on. So this lady's buying, she's got a little paper bag. What's inside here? You're not going to believe this. Look at this. It's for my bass fishing up in Canada. On the lake. Now, what do you think of this? I've always wanted to throw a baby starling <laughs> fly underneath. Um, baby McGanzer. Baby McGanzer. That is pretty ridiculous. 
for big browns up on Pine Creek where I fish. There's a bridge that, you know, where everyone parks on the Dream Stream in Colorado, and there's just starling nests all along it. And I figure those babies have got to fall out, and the fish have got to eat them. It's all about matching the hatch, man. And That's if, right. if mergansers are on the menu, you got to have one. Now, did you just come up with that pattern? I was contacted a while ago by a guide, and this guy was watching uh, Big Browns eat baby mergansers out of this river. So he was like, listen, you know, I don't know anybody else that can make something like this. Could you make me a baby bird? I said, yeah, we can make a baby bird. So I made it, and the, the first couple of them were really kind of rough. I mean, and then I, as I as I kind of figured out the process and figured out how to balance them, because really balancing these flies is essential. You need to be able to cast them, and they need to be able to right themselves in the water. So we had to play around. It took a little while to figure it all out, balance them properly. Once I got it down, they've caught everything from from browns to smallmouth to largemouth to pike to pickerel to muskie up in Canada. They're just, uh, yeah, they're just awesome. They're just fun to fish. The head wobbles, it's all articulated. So it looks like a distressed bird uh, in the water. And the fish just go crazy over them. Get some lunch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what do you need to know, man? Is that bird? Yes. Yes. Hydro is like water. And tack-free has viscosity. So it could be, you know, you could be using the flex, you could be using the thin, you could be using the thick, the brushable, and they make all those versions tack-free. So it would be the same thickness of, like, thin out of a tube, only when you hit it with the light, it's, you know, it's tack-free. It has no tack, it'll be smooth? It'll be smooth, yeah. I mean, I still find you, it, it clears up after a few hours. So you hit it with the light, you hit it real good. You're going to have to hit it a little bit longer than you would the regular goo. Okay. And then that residue pretty much goes away. On the tack free. On the tack free, yeah. The hydro is nice for everything else. You know, I'll use the thin and then you hit it with the hydro, excuse me, hit it with the hydro and then that's tack free. Or I'll use the hydro for thread heads like this stuff on these deceivers. That's all hydro. That's what makes those heads. Okay. All right. So, yeah, the tack free is pretty cool stuff, man. Okay. Yeah, but I don't mind doing the extra step, so I don't use the tack free all that often. all that often. Okay. Yeah, but it's good stuff. I mean, it's just as good as anything else, you know? Okay. Yeah. All right, thanks. Uh, yeah, right on, man. Well, I thought that was on pause, but if that came out, that'll be some extra info. Um, you got a preferred type of scissors, vice, and bobbins, looks like you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, vice, I use a peak. Um, I usually throw the saltwater jaws on there when I'm doing the bigger stuff, like any, you know, 2 aught, 5 aught, whatever. Um, it's... Uh, an unbelievable vice for the money. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, and I pro staff with Peak, but it's the best vice on the market for the money. You're not going to get any better. Um, I use uh, Dr. Slick uh, scissors. They make uh, these serrated scissors. They're very, very small serrations on them. But what happens a lot of the time is when you're cutting deer hair, uh, you'll get slippage. It's the same thing as like when you're when you're cutting uh, synthetics. It'll kind of slip through the blades. So these little tiny bit of serrations on them hold the material in place. Um, they're an awesome scissors. Doc, all Dr. Slick stuff is really cool. Uh, bobbins, I use the right bobbin. Uh, and the reason that I use that is uh, you've got part of part of good, doing good bass bugs is thread control. So these bobbins offer you the most thread control out there as far as I'm concerned for bobbins. Uh, the little dial on the side, it's one ounce of pressure for every turn. So you click it and you can adjust everything as you go. If you need more tension, just boom, on the side, it's done. Uh, and they're just awesome. The longer stems are great. I use ceramic tips on a lot of them, which is great for, for working with gel spun thread because it glides right through the tip with no problem. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, flea combs. 
Flea comb is really important. You pick it up at your uh, your local pet store. Um, you need to comb out, comb out all the uh, the underfur, all the fuzzy stuff, all the fluff on uh, deer hair. It, there's a lot of it on the hide. You want to get rid of that, otherwise your thread catches uh, as you're you're kind of spinning through the hair. All your thread will catch and you'll fold over hair. And you see a whole thing of ribs just go by. What? We need ribs. Yes, I just smelled them. Oh, that's Crosby. Crosby being with the ribs. Yeah, that's my old, that's Crosby. Oh, I'm gonna go see Crosby. That's my old boss. Too. Yeah, work from out in Colorado. Swipe some ribs for us, man. We're all starving back here. And then uh, you got a DVD you got too? Yeah, I've got a how-to DVD. It teaches uh, all the techniques that I use, uh, how to get hair on a hook. Basically, it uh, it goes over start to finish, making a deer hair diver. So you learn how to do double weed guards. You learn how to do all the tailing materials, and then. Spots, dots, bars, the whole shebang. I teach everything on there. And then uh, how to clean it up and shave it and shape it. And then how to finalize it using clear cure goo. Uh, that stuff's really important to the way that I tie, especially on the bass bugs. I coat all the bellies of my bass bugs with clear cure goo. And I coat the collars on the divers. Uh, it adds a little bit of weight to the flies, so they sit nice in the in the film. Instead of, like, just on the surface, they kind of get in there a little bit. It adds a lot of durability to the fly also. Um, yeah, that DVD teaches everything. I mean, start to finish. I left no secrets. Everything is out there. And, uh, yeah, and it's available right on my website, too, rusuperfly.com. Same with all the flies, the, the packers, the whole shebang. Everything's available there. And this, you got this tree display. Did you find this? Where did this, like, driftwoody thing come from? Yeah, that driftwood, man. I uh, I was on my local smallmouth water, my little stream, and I we had just put the kayaks in the water. We were about half a mile down the river, and I saw it sitting on the bank. Um, this big muddy gnarly piece of wood you know so I went out I looked at it I was like wow look at the rock inclusions on this thing so I threw it in my kayak and four miles four miles of kayaking and fishing this thing went for the trip with me and then it sat in my garage for about a year and uh, one day my dad just happened to stop by and he was like whoa look at this piece of wood why aren't you doing anything with it and I said I don't know I don't have the time man you know so he took it cleaned it up polished it urethaned it and now i've got this beautiful display that my dad built for me and you said your, your home waters where is that where's home for you uh, i live in cobleskill new york it's kind of in the middle of nowhere it's uh like 40 miles west of albany so i've got some unbelievable bass fishing right around the corner from me i can't really talk about the river itself because you know it's my home secret but yeah there's some tremendous smallmouth fishing like 15 minutes from my house so that's where that's where that came from that's where uh you know, most of my flies get beaten up in, and yeah. Well, I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you. You were beyond mobbed at Somerset, so this slow day has definitely made it easier. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little crazy, man. People are really responsive to, to deer hair. There's not a lot of guys doing it. It's kind of a lost art, so I'm glad I could be the one that's helping keep it alive and bring it back and get people interested in it. Definitely a niche tire. All right, um, one last question. The most, uh, what, what kind of, I'm lost for it. We're going to have to edit this out, the question. Um, most recent innovation in fly tying that you're utilizing you said like the clear cure goo products yeah I mean all the clear cure products are pretty cool I mean they're relatively new to the market they've been out for a few years I think any of the the new uh, like some of the new synthetic materials like Enrico's got some really cool stuff going on all the EP stuff um, obviously I don't use that for bass bugs but for my streamers and stuff like that a lot of the EP stuff's really cool uh, the clear cure goo products are unbelievable they change the way that I tie 
Um, and the eyes that uh, Brian makes, uh, the clear cure eyes, are just unbelievable. And that seems to be a trend lately, too, is all these... Uh, Really nice and a lot bigger, realistic flies. You know, Flyman Fishing Company's got some really cool stuff too. The articulated shanks, and for us guys that make really big flies, I mean, I even, I make a lot of really big streamers too. So, any of that stuff that's getting geared towards that is really cool and a lot of fun to use. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. Yeah, man. Thank you. Cheers. Hi, right, buddy. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This has been a production of Freestone Media at freestone-media.com. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.